Tony, it's good to be with you once again. This is Pastor Brown from Macron Alliance Fellowship. I'm hoping that you're wide awake and alert for Sunday morning's message. Uh been kind of struggling with this message for the last week or more. Uh, I'm going to be bouncing back between Psalms 42 and Psalms 73. Um, looking at these two men and the problems that they're experiencing in life. And they're much like ordinary people of today. You go through many different difficulties in life. They're life experiences, but we handle life in different ways. And we handle our difficulties and our situations in different ways. And they come in different degrees. Some people have more problems than others. And we all have problems. But it's how we deal with the problems. It's how we face the problems. You can't run from them. They're always with you. You can't hide from them. They find you. Um, but they're there. I like what a friend of mine, uh, Newt Larson, uh, he shared with me one time. By having lunch, the difference between a big dog and a small dog is that a small dog may have less fleas than the big dog, but they both have fleas. And that's people. We all have problems. We all have difficulties. And what we want to do is look at Psalms 42 and Psalm 73 to see if we can see the similarities of the experience that these men go through. And they both know God. But understand this, because you know God, does not mean you will not be depressed. Does not mean you do not have difficulties. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for guiding us through the difficult times of life. We want to thank you, Lord, for bringing back to our remembrance that, Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. We want to thank you, Lord, that you're doing something that, Lord, we may not always understand why, but we can understand who is doing it and that you have a purpose behind it and Lord help us not to worry so much about the why as we dwell on the who who is our ever-present helper who is the one who has promised never to leave us nor forsake us who is the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Help us not to get caught on the why, but the who. And Lord, we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I hope this all comes across well because I've been up since about four o'clock this morning going back and forth and and I imagine I've written this thing out about three or four times and like I said, for over the last week or so, it's been going through my mind. And uh, the Lord and I, we've been talking about this. So I'm hoping that this will be helpful. It will be a blessing. It will encourage. And it will give insight. For we're all going through a difficult time with this pandemic. It's different. It's something we've never had to have lived through before. It's something we're experiencing that we've never experienced before. It's it's life at a different pace in a different way. But we're going through it. We wake up each day and we have the privilege of saying, okay God, what are we going to tackle today? What are we going to go through today? Knowing that he'll go through it with us. Know that he will order our steps. He will guide us. He will give us wisdom. He'll give us discernment. He'll give us what we have need for this day if we really search for him and desire him to lead us and to guide us. He'll do it. So in both of these psalms, both these men start off in a positive way, I would like to say, because life in itself will either cause you to become very negative or you have a very positive mind that you can overcome anything with God and that you can truly believe what Scripture says. All things are possible with God, even though it's hard. God didn't promise that it would be easy. And we want to look to the one who will help us not always understanding why something took place I'm not going to always get the answer to the why but I can know the who who has caused it who has brought it about and what is he doing Um, in Psalms 42 he starts off in this manner as the deer pats for the streams of water So my soul pats for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, I want to, in that little scripture, in Psalms 42, verse 1, he says he's searching, he's thirsty, he wants. He wants God. Now, if this were... David, and some suggest that this in 42 is is David. The writer is speaking about David and his depression and what he was going through. And if this is David, what David is basically saying, Lord, I want you. I need you. I'm searching for you. But so many problems in life sometimes can cloud the situation. And this was David, and Absalom is chasing him out of his palace, out of his fine home, is causing David to run and to live in caves, to live out in the woods. David is in a difficult situation, and he doesn't understand really the why. 
He knows his son is bitter and hard. But that doesn't really tell us the why. But David is saying, Lord, where are you? I'm searching for you. I desire to know. Because we see things on this fleshly realm, on this worldly life, but we don't see it all. We see part of it. We don't see it all. And David says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, now let's talk about that just for a moment. David wanted the living God to attend him, to wait upon him, to minister to him, to open his eyes to things. He wanted the living God. And David was one who lived amongst people who had idols, all the other nations around him were idol worshippers. They were individuals who did not know the living God. And sometimes in this life, we live among people who do not even believe in God or in any God. And those who do believe in some other God other than Jesus Christ, they are constantly battling with us. Where is our God? Where is your God? when difficulties come. And David says, I want the living God. He emphasizes that in this sense by using the word living, living. And that's important because God is a living God. He's not a dead God. He's not a God of my imagination. He's not a fantasy. He's not a dream, a story, a myth. He is the living God. And that's who David wants to have an encounter with in this experience. And we always want to have this encounter. We always want to be encountering God. We always want God to be in our lives, interacting in our lives. And David says, at this time in my life, it's as though God is not there. As though God has forsaken me. There's an emptiness. And Christians will go through that. I've gone through that. We all go through depression. Whether it be a deep one, a small one, large, however you want to describe it, very seriously or very mild. We go through depressions in times in life. It's part of life. But it's how we go through it. It's how we go through it. And David is saying, I'm searching for you, Lord. I'm searching for you, Lord. And then over in Psalm 73, there's this positive statement again that comes across. And Asaph puts it in this matter, the writer here. He says, surely God is good to Israel. And then he brings it down to a very personal note in a sense also. But it's a challenging note. That has to cause one to look at themselves. And he says, to those who are pure in heart. Now, Asaph know at this point, he's struggling in his heart. He's struggling with an attitude. His eyes are upon other people. Back in Psalm 42, the eyes were on self. Here, the eyes are upon others. Here, the thoughts are upon other folks. Over in Psalm 42, the Thoughts are upon self. We can get caught in 
either one of those traps. We can get caught into this area where that we are thinking more about ourselves than we are of what God wants us to do or what God would have us to do. Uh, we get caught up with other people and looking at what other people have, uh, what other people's positions are. Uh, we get caught up in their wealth and so forth. And we get caught up in ourself, what we don't have. Uh, we get caught up in our own depression that I was laid off. I don't have a job right now. I don't have this. Uh, I have this kind of home and I'm going to lose my home. And, and we get caught up with ourselves and our problems of ourselves and problems with others. And God's desire is that we keep our eyes on him. We keep our hope fixed on him. And that we know that he is the one who's going to minister to us. So Asaph in Psalm 73 says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those with a pure heart. Now he makes a separation there. He makes a definite separation. There are those who have a pure heart. There are those who don't have a pure heart. Both of these men are struggling with real life experiences that we also struggle with. Because we get our eyes on other people and we get our eyes stuck on ourselves. Asaph goes on and saying in verse 2, But as for me, my feet almost slipped. And he didn't totally fall, but he says, I don't have the sure footing that I once had. I don't have the sure footing that I once had. And he admits, I almost fell. I almost fell. It got a little slippery out there. I didn't fall. But for that moment, I was, I had to catch myself. I've learned to do that. Since a back surgery a few months ago, uh, this right leg, it will act a little funny sometime and I'm learning how to catch myself that I don't fall because I've fallen enough that I don't want to fall. And I'm learning now to catch myself when this leg begins to act up a little bit and it wants to not operate the way I want it to operate. And we learn to catch ourselves. David, back in Psalms 42, He's in a deep depression where Asa said, I almost slipped. Listen to David in 42. My tears in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food both day and night. Both men now know God. I want you to understand that. Both men know God. They know of God. But both are in real life experiences, difficulties, problems. And both are asking the question, why? Why do the evil man 
prosper? Why does the evil man have health and and don't care anything about life, of freedom of life? And David, he's caught in his tears and his crying, both day and night. Both men are experiencing life. Although they're experiencing differently, they are experiencing it. Now, in Psalms 42, David says in verse 5 and verse 11, Why is my soul cast down? Why is my soul cast down? He has. So he says in verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Now he can't answer the why, but he's asking himself, Why are you like this? Why are you going through this? Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Why are you troubled? David's asking that question of why is he in this difficulty? We've all been there. We've asked, why do I have this pain? Why am I suffering with this? Why am I going through this problem or this thing? Why? Then back in Psalm 73, oh, he goes through a long list of, Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand. Why is it that the evil person prosper? Now, now just kind of get Psalm 73 with me for a moment. Take a look at the attitude. Take a look at what he's struggling with that somehow he can't let go of. But that's part of the problem, not being able to let go. Paul says that he had learned how to be content, no matter in which area of life he was in, whether if he was up or down. He has learned to be content. And as Christians, we have to learn to be content whether we have much or whether we have less. Uh, We learn to be content, whether we are wealthy or we are poor. We are a witness for the Lord, no matter in which class we may be. Whatever position in life, whether I'm the CEO or I'm the janitor, we are both witnesses for Christ. We both live for the Lord. And the Lord then provides for both of us, whether I'm the CEO or the janitor of the company. It's not about my position. It's about who I serve. And we can get our eyes off who we serve. And we're beginning to ask the questions then, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? Why does this person get this and I don't get it? We go through all these why. So in that Psalm 73, he said, Why are the wicked wealthy? He says it. He says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And Asaph said, I'm troubled by that. I don't understand that. Because God is good to the pure in heart. But here's these wicked people. Boy, they're prospering. They're healthy. I'm a Christian, and I don't have good health. I've gone through this many surgeries. 
I have COPD. I have bronchitis. I have diabetes. I have cancer. I have this and I have that. And and I'm serving God? So So what's the purpose in this? I have all these problems, but I'm serving this great God. And yet I look over here at the wicked, the people who are evil, the people who are partying and and really enjoying life from my perspective now. And I'm troubled by that. Because my eyes have lost focus on God. And he says, why are the wicked wealthy and healthy? Then he comes down in that verse 4. And he says, they have no struggles. That's a deception. Everybody in life struggles in some way or another. We're struggling with something. We're struggling with family, with children. We're struggling with finances. We're struggling with our own health. We're struggling with this issue or that issue, our employment. We're struggling with somebody on the job. We all have our struggles. We even have our struggles within our siblings, our family rivals, and so forth. But he says they have no struggles. That's a deception. Don't be deceived. And he says their bodies are healthy and strong. Again, don't be deceived because you're looking at the outer man. You don't see the inner person. And your assumption is because of what you see on the outer man, he is strong. He's healthy. But you don't know what's going on on the inside of that person. And he goes on, he says, therefore, pride is their necklace. They're very prideful. Always remember, pride cometh before fall. And he says they're very prideful. And they clothe themselves in violence. Those two things go together, pride and violence. Why? Because a pride person will not take instructions. A pride person will not learn. A pride person is going to do their own thing. And in doing your own thing, eventually someone's going to challenge you and there's going to be violence. Something's going to come against you and there's going to be violence. And the first thing a very prideful person is ready to do is to defend and fight. It's to defend and fight. And he says, for they're very prideful and they're violent. In verse 6. And he moves on. He says, they're callous of heart. Are you catching a picture of this man where his eyes are on? His eyes is on others. Not God, but on others. And he says, boy, they're callous at heart. They're hard at heart. And he goes on, he says, and comes iniquity, the evil conceit of their minds. No, no limits. The Lord says to the Christian, There's no limits on you. You're free to do. You're more free as a Christian than when you were serving the world, when you were serving Satan. You are more free as a Christian. But everything is not expedient for you. 
You have freedom. You have liberty. But be wise in your liberty and your freedom, your choices, your decision. Because everything is not expedient for you. Everything is not good for you. Everything is not helpful for you. And he says, they have no limits. Sinful people have no limits. They have nothing to stop them. There's no consciousness there. They just move forward at anything that they desire to do, they want to do. It doesn't matter who it hurts. It doesn't matter what happens as long as they are able to have their pleasure and fulfill their own desires. So there's no limits with man because man is never satisfied. Man is never satisfied with just one woman. It takes God to satisfy man to have one wife and one wife only. Men would love to have just women. And sometimes we even ask ourselves, why can't we live like David and the others? Have the women, the concubines, and everything else. No, God says, I gave you one wife. One wife. He only gave Adam one wife. And that was more than enough. One wife. And one husband is more than enough. It just doesn't go one way. For a wife to put up with some of us as men... Boy, that's a lot. Amen. He says, but they have no limits. And he scoffs. They scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They threaten oppression. People, if you look at other people, you're going to be depressed. If you allow other people to try to dictate your life, you're going to be depressed. God has called you to follow him, not other people. And you have to be willing to submit to him, to serve him. But when you get your eyes over here, you're not focused on him. Both of these men are experiencing this because one is focused on others and the other is focused on himself and he says they have no struggles they have no limits they're arrogance and even to the point that they come to a point to say how does God know how does God know God doesn't know anything so in verse 11 it says they say how can God know does the most high have knowledge if you're a living being, you have some type of knowledge. So the conclusion is, there's no living being in heaven. There's no knowledge in heaven of what's going on here on earth. There's no God that knows that. So there is a total freedom to perform and to do. And this is this man's problem. That he's caught with his eyes upon others. And back in Psalms 42, the individual's problem is also his eyes is on himself. Again, in verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food both day and night. So he's crying. He's depressed day and night. He's not even sleeping well. 
while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? Where is your God? Now, here is one of the failures of Christians. When we are on the mountaintop and everything is going well, and we're bragging about God and how good God is and how great God is and what God has done for us and, and how big he is and the miracles he's performed. When we're bragging on him and then life really hits us pretty hard and it quiets us. And we're no longer bragging about this God that we serve. We're no longer talking about this Savior who has saved us, who has redeemed us, who has washed us, who has given us this and given us that, who has showered us with blessings upon blessing. Somebody from the world comes in and says, where is your God? Remember that God you used to brag about? Remember that Jesus you used to talk about? Remember that Jesus you tried to convince me that would help me? Well, why isn't he helping you? And boy, we forget. Our God is the same in the day as he is in the night. Our God is the same whether we're on the mountain or in the valley. He is still one worthy to be praised. He is still one worthy to be lifted up. He is one still worthy. And I have to remember that. It's not about my position in life or what I'm going through in life that gives God value. No. He is the same whether I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley. He's worthy to be praised at all times. He's worthy to be shared with others at all times. And people will come to you because you've been bragging about this God and how wonderful he is and how mighty he is and what kind of healer he is. And all of a sudden, you hit a slump in life, a problem in life. And people are going to ask, where is your God? You make sure your attitude towards God is the same. You make sure you're still praising him. You make sure you're still witnessing about him. You're still telling people how good he is, not based on what your condition is at a certain time. But that he's still good because he's giving you breath. He's still good because he woke you up. He's still good because he's keeping you in your right mind. He is still good because that's who he is. He is God. And he is good unto us. They're going to come. And they're going to say, where is your God? And they said that to David, to this writer, and they heard it. And they said it also in verse 11. Where is your God? So it's been said twice to him. And we're troubled sometimes in life experience when people will question us. 
about what we really believe in. But that's part of life experiences. Because your faith is going to be tested. You're going to go through trials. You're the one who have to be willing to confess God. And let people know you still believe in God. No matter what's going on in your life. Whether you're going through depression. Or whether you got your eyes focused on other people. You're the one who has to now talk to yourself. And you're the one who have to bring yourself back to a focus upon God. Now, I want to take a moment or two here in Psalms 42. I want you to capture what David or this writer is saying in order to help himself get through his situation. Because it's important that we understand other people went through difficulties just like we go through them. But we have to remind ourselves, who is the one who helps us? Not so much, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? But who is the one who can give me victory? Who is the one who can guide me through it? Who is the one who can help me? Who is the one who can comfort me? Who is the one that can give me knowledge to navigate through this storm? I want you to look what David says in verse 4. He says, these things I remembered. These things I remembered. I poured out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the possession, the procession to the house of God. I remember how I used to go to the house of God. Is David saying here that there was a time I stopped going to church, I stopped going to the temple, I stopped worshiping, I stopped leading even, even others to the house of God? To God? See, we hit those dry spells where we may not go to church, we may not worship, we may not talk about God or lead others to Christ. That doesn't mean God's forsaken us. That means that we've just moved our eyes off God onto something else. But he said, I remember. And sometimes you have to go back and remember how good God has been to you. It's not the present situation. It may not look like he's being good to you right now or right at this moment. And and, and it's a hard time and, and there's some suffering going on. There's some pain going on. There's some heartbreaking going on. There's something that's going on in your life that can be very difficult for you. But don't get so focused upon that that you forget what God has already done on your behalf. Remember how good God is. And David said, I remembered when I went to the house of God. I remembered. And he brings that up again in verse 5. And I think it's more in verse 6, but he says, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember 
my soul is cast down. Yes, I am going through this. But I'm going to remember my God and what he's done. It's painful right now. I'm going to remember my God. It's hurting right now and it's difficult right now. And I don't have this and I don't have that. But I'm going to remember who has provided for me in my past. And he says, therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. Now, understand that. David's going back to the land of the Jordan. He's going backwards to remember how good God has been to him. And the writer is really helping us to understand everything is not going to always be on the mountaintop. There's going to be some valley experiences. But God is the same. And I can recall and I can remember what God has done for me. And what he's done for me in the past, he can do for me in the future. He can do for me in the very present. But I have to remember from whom do my help arrive from? Not from Washington, D.C. Not from this best friend of mine. Not so much from my job. But my help really cometh from God. I have to remember who truly loves me and cares for me. I have to remember, even though it's difficult, I have to remember. And in Psalm 42, he said, I'm remembering, I'm remembering, even though I am in this present situation. And it goes back and forth. I remember, but I'm still in this depression. I remember, and I'm even asking the question, why have you forgotten me, Lord? In verse 9. Now, it's kind of strange there in that verse 9, because he confessed, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Look what he calls God. My rock, my living God, my living God, my rock, my savior. But then he goes right back into, how? why must I go about mourning self? And he's struggling back and forth. Boy, that's real life. That's real life. We struggle back and forth. We have our ups and down times with God. One time, boy, I'm praising God. Next time, I'm as silent as a newborn baby that can't say a word. And he says, why have you forgotten me? Now, let me share something with you. We're going to hit it over in Psalm 72. We may forget God. And remember what he said up here earlier? I remembered I used to go to the house of God. I used to lead others, the possession, to the house of God. And the question has to come when you get into verse 9 now, when he says, why have you forgotten me? Who forgot who? Did he forget God or did God forget him? And I want to share with you, we forget God. And how many of you out there have forgotten God? have forgotten how good God is to you. You've forgotten what God has brought you through already. 
This pandemic is nothing compared to what a lot of people have already suffered and gone through in life, and God brought them through. God will bring us through this if we look to him. And God is just reminding us of the things that are really important. He's telling us to remember family. Boy, we can get working and get caught up in our success and our big home, but we're in a home, but we're not a family. We're in a big house, but we're not a family. We got all kind of money, but we're not a family. We can buy this and buy that, but two people don't love each other. A husband and wife have lost sight of each other. And God is only, through this pandemic, bringing us back to a place that really asks the question, what's important? What's important? Who's important? My God is important. My wife is important. My family is important. My neighbor is important. He's bringing back some values to us. That we may have to reach out and help somebody. Those who may have a little bit more than others. We may have to go back to borrowing a couple of eggs from the neighbor next door. And they may have to borrow a cup of flour from us. It's amazing how God brings us back to a reality of true values and good principles. And he has to do it by sometimes just stopping us in our tracks and causing us to take a look at ourselves. Have we forgotten God as a nation? God hasn't forgotten us. Have we forgotten God as a world, the true and living God? Have we forgotten him? We need to understand what the psalmist starts off with in Psalm 73. God is good. He is. And God wants to show his goodness, not just to the United States. He wants to show his goodness worldwide to every man and woman and child on planet Earth. God wants to show his goodness God hasn't moved. We moved. God hasn't forgotten us, but we certainly have forgotten him. And that was David's cry in one sense. God, why have you forgotten me? But that's when we're stuck on ourselves. That's when we want God to help us. When we're in the hospital and we hear some real bad news Oh, boy, what's one of the most famous lines that goes forth from that moment? Oh, God. And what we're saying, God, remember me in my pain. Remember me in my suffering. Remember me, oh, God. And God is saying, remember me. Remember the one who can heal you. Remember the one who can quench your thirst. Remember the one who can spread out a banquet before you in the presence of your enemies. Remember me, the God that loves you, forgives you, and wants to set your feet on solid ground. Remember me. David came to a point in Psalms 42, and he says, I will remember. 
I will remember. Even though he's going back and forth, he says, I'm going to remember. But then he ends up in that verse 11, and I like this. He said, put your hope in God. He says to himself, and sometimes we got to look at ourselves in the mirror, and we got to tell self, put your hope in God, not in your job, not in your family, not in your best friend, not in your wealth, not in your health. Put your hope in God. And you got to tell yourself that sometimes as you go through difficulties, that you got to really place yourself in the hands of God. And he said, I will put hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Look at his solution there. I'm going to praise my Savior and my God. Even though I'm depressed, I'm going to praise him. He's my Savior. He's my God. And I'm going to put my hope in him. So when you come over to 43, let's catch and see what this individual is going to say to help change his attitude. Remember, he's looking at his friend. David's looking at himself. The Psalms in 42 is looking at himself. Over here in 73, he is looking at others. And he's allowing that to tie him all up in knots and cause him difficulties and problems. But look what he says. He said, when I tried to understand all this, when I tried to understand why does the wicked prosper? Why does the wicked have unlimited freedom? Why does the wicked see himself arrogant and prideful? Why does the wicked have wealth and health? Why does the wicked? He said, when I tried to understand this, he says, boy, it's oppressive to me. Because God did not tell you to understand that individual. He told you to witness to that individual, to share with that individual. I tried to understand all this. It was oppressive to me. When you begin to look at other people's lives, it can become very oppressive. I remember one day of counseling, and I had... Have I, I did something that maybe I shouldn't have done. I lined up three or four counseling sessions all that morning. By that late afternoon, I was at home in bed. I was at home in bed over dealing with the problems of other people and seeing the problems of other people. You can oppress yourself. By fixing your eyes on others rather than on God. And he says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. But he finds a solution. He says, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their destiny. But the thing is, I understood. I understood God was at work. I didn't have the answer why, but I understood. And you can understand without always having the answer why. 
but that you have understanding that God is at work. And he says, I understood when I went into the sanctuary of God. What did the psalmist in 42? When I remembered how I went to the house of God. Here he's coming back to the same thing in a sense. That when I went into the sanctuary of God, I understood. David remembered the joy he felt. He understood the freedom of his mind when he went into the house of God. And this man is now also understanding by going into the sanctuary of God, going in and learning of God, going in and learning what God is saying about life. It frees us from the oppression of life. From the difficulties of life. It frees us. And he says. I understood. He says. I understand. That God. You're at work. Now. Come with me to verse 21. In Psalm 73. He says. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. There's a confession there. When my heart was grieved. Grieved over what? Over other people and how they were prospering. They were sinning. I was trying to live a godly life, a righteous life. They were living a life of pleasure, of sin, and enjoying themselves. And I'm withholding myself. Because of my relationship with God and because what God's word says, I have a stop sign. He ignores the stop, stop sign and just keeps it going. He just barrels through. There's no limits for him. He don't have to stop at the red light. I have to stop. And sometimes that does cause us problems. The freedom that we think another person has sometimes causes us problems. Even with young people. We hear it in our home. Mom, the Joneses allow their kids to do this and this. Um, Dad, the Smiths allow their son to drive their car. Uh, this one allows that. They can do this and I can't be. They can be out till 1 or 2 in the morning. I got to be in by 10. And what we don't understand, absolute freedom or freedom to just do the things you desire to do can bring hurt to you, can bring damage to you. And God is protecting us by limiting us through his word. When we understand his word. His word limits us. And that's great. Because man is never satisfied. Sin is never satisfied. Sin will start you off here. And it will take you deeper. And deeper. And deeper. Until you find that there's no way of coming up. And getting another breath of air. Sin will destroy you. He says when my heart was grieved. And my spirit embittered. He had to confess that. He had to get that out. 
because as long as he was harboring that inside, he could not focus on God. Nor could he love God and love man as God would have him to do. You cannot be embittered and grieved with people and truly love them. You cannot be embittered towards people and want the best for them. You cannot hate people and dislike people and not do good to them. He says, my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. You won't do the right things for those individuals. You won't do what's good for those individuals. You won't even help those individuals. Why? Because you're embittered. You're angry with them. And he says, I was senseless. I was senseless. In verse 22. He says, I was senseless. And arrogant. I was a brute beast before you. Now he's talking about how he perceived God seeing him. I was a brute beast. I was sinful with this embitterness, with allowing this to grieve my heart. I was embittered and I hated and I was envious of these people. Here comes the catcher now. That God you love. You love them, God. And until I can get that up here and in here. That God loves them and Christ died for them. <clears throat> I will be envious. I will be grieved over what they have and envious over what they have. Not understanding that God loves them and he wants me to love them and care about them. And he said, boy, I didn't understand this until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I start meeting with God, until I start praying with God, until I start reading God's word, I didn't understand it until I took my eyes off them and focused on God. And he goes on and he continues to share with us. And he shares with, yes, this is what I looked like before God. And he says in verse 23, yet I am always with you. Even though I was in this sinful state, I was grieved, I was envious, I was embittered, I was a beastly thing. I was always with you. Remember what David said, what the psalmist said in chapter 42? You forgot me, God? He's not saying that God forgot him. He said, I was always with you. He didn't forget God. But now we got to look at what caused that. What caused that? What gave him the assurance of that? We can go astray. But God still holds on to us. Sometimes I'm watching people walk their dog down the street here. And um, they have one of these, I call it a yo-yo type thing because it goes in and out. 
the dog can take off some and that thing will spin outward and allow the dog a certain amount of freedom and then it stops but then the person who has hold of it can kind of like ring it back in because they never let the dog go even though the dog may think boy okay they didn't let me go and off I can take off for a little bit I can run out a certain distance the owner still has hold of the dog God still has hold of us. Even though we take off running and we can run a certain distance from him, he still has hold of us. So look what he said. He said, yet I am always with you. You hold me. Boy, underline that. Grab hold of that. God holds me. God holds me. I'm running away. My heart is full of bitterness. My heart is full of envy. My heart is full of this. The last person I'm thinking about is God. But God has hold of me. That's God. That's God. That brings tears to you. When you understand that God has hold of you. More so than you think that you have hold of him. He has hold of you. And he says, yet I'm always with you. Because you always have hold of me. You always have hold of me. By my right hand. He gives very specifically, you hold me by your right hand. You got me. You got me. You got me by my right hand. You're holding on to me. It's like a mother or father walking through a mall with a child and they have hold of that child because they recognize that child's going to see things, hear things, and the child wants to do what sometimes? Just take off. But the father or mother has hold of that child's hand and they can't go no further than the arm's length. God has hold of us. We can run no further than what God allows. And boy, that's good. He has hold of me. Even when I doubt him, he has hold of me. Even when I'm depressed, he has hold of me. Even when I'm bewildered and overcome by my problems or my pain, my disappointments, he has hold of me. And we have to understand it's not me holding to him. It really is him holding on to me. And the psalmist here comes to realize that God has hold of me and he goes on and he says he will guide me and he'll give me counsel why the counsel why the guidance 
God knows that we are a people who will get off the beaten path. He knows we're going to have troubles in this life. And we'll lose sight. He's going to guide us. And he's going to counsel. Adrian Rogers says this, and I, and, and I love him, and uh, I, I met him again. I've shared that he sat on the board at Tacoa Falls College, the institution that I attended, and uh, we were able to share the same stage, and I was able to pick him up from the airport. Uh, but he says this, To understand that God will not always tell you the why. But God will comfort you and give you understanding that he is at work correcting and perfecting his people. He's at work correcting and perfecting us for his glory. And whatever he has to take us through to bring about the correction, to show us our own heart, to allow us to see our own attitudes, he takes us through it and also corrects us that we can see our wrong. Because sometimes we can't see our wrong because we see ourselves so godly, so religious, so scripturally correct. We can't see what's happening to our heart, that our heart is being embittered, our heart is grieving, our heart is envious, our heart is full of hate. And he has to take us through that for us to wake up and see the reality of who I am. And what he wants me to be. So he's correcting. But he's also. Perfecting me. For his glory. And for his praise. And he says. Listen to his conclusion now. In this verse 25. Whom have I in heaven. But you. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Oh, both men come to a conclusion. Oh, put your hope in God. Praise him. He's my savior. He's my God. Who do I have in heaven or in earth but you, O oh God? We go through life, the experiences of life, the problems of life, the tough times of life, the heartbreaks in life. We fall in life. But God has hold of us. God had hold of both of these men. One in depression. One whose eyes have wandered off God and onto others. Both of them were caught up with different issues of life. Both knew God, but lost sight of God. 
but God never let them go. And they both began to understand when they went in to the house of God and worship. Can I invite you to do that? It's not the why, it's the who that you need to know. I'd like to invite you to attend a house of worship where the word of God is taught and the people in that place believe God and that you begin a journey with those who are not perfect people but are people just like you like David in search of God and all that he has for us Yes, we're on this journey of being corrected and being perfected by God for his glory. Both men had their problems, had their struggles in life. But both men began to understand more about life when they remembered God And when they went into the sanctuary to worship, catch this now, the living God. I invite you to find that church where the living God is celebrated. And life experiences are real. And people are not scared to share their hurts, their pains, their ups and downs in life. Their victories in life, but also those battles that they have lost, but yet they're still on the battlefield fighting with it. Discover God for yourself. Not what other people will say, but discover the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself. And He will truly be a Savior, a Redeemer. And one who will give you understanding, not so much of all the problems in the world, but understanding of yourself and who he is and who you are in him. God bless you. May God keep you. May God hold on to you. And may you know that he's holding you. Father, how we thank you and praise you, O God. May these psalms, O God, encourage our hearts. Whether we are depressed or whether our eyes are fixed upon people and we are envious of what they have or their wealth, their health, their car, their home, their death. Help us, Lord, to turn our eyes once again to you, to see you clearly, to allow you, O God, to personally work in our lives and to perfect us and to correct us and to make us a people who are worthy to be called the saints of God, the priests of God, the people of God. Lord, bless us today, I pray, and heal somebody of their depression, 
set them free of it, heal that one who's going through difficult pain, touch their life, Lord, and Lord, guide them through life, order their steps, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless, God keep you, see you next week.